Woman's Place, Emeline, by Cusi Pala, narrated by Felpata Lupin from fanfictalk.com. Emeline, age 32, 1981. If she could make it to midnight, Emeline would have survived another day. The routine was essential. Quarter to seven, wake up to the alarm. It still took her a moment to realize that she had to turn it off. Until half seven, put the kettle on and fry an egg. Sometimes she cooked too on accident. Quarter past eight, find something to wear and lock the house. Not that it mattered anymore these days. Then the routine at work. Answer memos, mediate rows over the coffee machine, complete her paperwork, eat lunch, drink tea alone, file more paperwork, facilitate meetings, respond to more memos. Justice was a slow process. At quarter past five, if she were lucky to live on time, arrive home. The evenings were always the worst. By then, Emmeline could barely make any decisions cook dinner and then do some work in the garden, or garden and then attend to the mending or another chore. Sometimes she forgot to eat. Regardless, everything was done mostly in silence. She couldn't bear to listen to the wireless nowadays. The weekends, like today, were the worst too. There was so much to do but she couldn't decide what needed to be done. And so she began one chore, but before finishing, Emmeline oftentimes began another, and then the cycle continued. Start a chore, start another one, and then another one. Finish a chore, start another. One more chore, just one more. No, this was the final one. By half nine, on a good day, be to bed but she rarely fell asleep until the early hours of the morning. Her mind often wandered. Day in, day out, another mission here or there, but those were becoming fewer and fewer. They were becoming fewer and fewer. Emmeline squeezed the tomato too hard and it burst in her hand. Its juices slid down her forearm and rested in the crook of her elbow. She hissed as the tomato's acid found its way into a picked and nail, but Emmeline continued to watch as seeds slid down her pale skin. The tomato had been almost too ripe. She probably wouldn't have gotten around to eating it anyway. Her vegetable garden was too numerous, the harvest too bountiful. The sun was almost completely sunken along the horizon. Emmeline finally glanced towards her house, frowning at the darkness emitting from the windows. She had forgotten to leave on a light. Once, that had been one of her favorite things to do. Singing, Emmeline threw down the squashed tomato and stood. The light was rapidly getting shorter as winter approached, but to her, the days dragged on and on and on. The routine was essential. Complete one more chore, perhaps the laundry, that had never been a thing. Have a cup of tea. Be in bed by half nine. 
fall asleep when her exhaustion conquered her terror. Quarter to seven, wake up to the alarm. It still took her a moment to realize that she had to turn it off. And again, and again. Every time she did these things, she survived another day. She wondered when was the last day she truly lived. Emily balanced the basket of fresh produce on her hip as she made her way to the darkened house. The back steps creaked in their usual way, and the mudroom still had her winter coat hanging from the hook. Emmeline had left it there in the spring and never made an ocean to put it away. Perhaps if she had put away her winter coat, then things would be different. Don't be ridiculous, Em, she muttered to herself as she set down her basket on the empty bench. Winter coats wouldn't have brought about the change that needed to happen, or that she wanted to happen. Before Emmeline had a chance to kick off her wellness, the house began to buzz. Someone had used magic right outside of her protective charms. Quickly grabbing her wand, Emmeline made her way through her tiny kitchen and into the living room. Half of the shelves were empty, casting shadows in the extremely dim light that bled through the windows. She placed herself in the corner by her grandfather clock, waiting for the persons of people's next move. Emmeline listened to the tick-tocking of her clock as the magical buzzing intensified. Someone was approaching her door. She had been in duels before, and they weren't pretty. Good thing that Don isn't here, then, the meddlesome voice said in the back of her mind. Emmeline brushed her dark hair behind her shoulder with her tomato juice stand. Damned, she breathed, smelling the acidity already and feeling the stickiness of her hand. The buzzing intensified as there was a knock on the door. Emmeline stayed hidden. No one had contacted her about visiting at this hour. Given the events of the past couple months, maybe it was her turn. The Death Eaters had finally come for her, like they had come for Edgar and Marlene. The knocking grew more persistent. Did the theaters even knock? Emmeline, it's me. Answer the door or I'll magic me away inside. Dorcas Meadows or someone who might have been posing as her had amplified her voice so Emmeline could hear over the buzzing and the knocking. If it was Dorcas at the door, what could she possibly want? Oh, you know what she wants, Sam. It was like Don was standing right next to Emmeline, whispering into her ear. She couldn't be thinking of Don right now. Clearing her throat, Emmeline shouted, Coming! Before opening the door, she made sure that the chain lock was secure. She gazed through the people and indeed saw Dorcas standing there. Emmeline cracked open the door slowly half expecting Dorcas to stick her wand through the crevice of the door and start firing curses. That didn't happen. So instead, she stuck to the routine of any visitor. Emmeline asked, What was I wearing the last time I saw you? Dorcas nodded, showing her understanding. Albus Dumbledore had suggested these greetings years ago, but nowadays Emmeline wondered how effective they really were.
This protocol didn't protect the McKinnons, non the Ponzi's. Figu Daisy Romper, replied Dorcas. Despite this being the correct answer, Emmeline was still not relieved. What did me bring to Amelia Bones when in Broda died? What a painful question, but Emmeline knew why she asked it. A death eater most likely wouldn't feel the remorse that she felt. If only she could have done something more. Run down, I think you called it, she replied. There was a pause as both witches lowered their wands. Emmeline unlocked the door and let in her fellow order member, and if she could allow herself to call anyone this these days her friend. It's dark, Dorcas mused as Emmeline magic the door locked again. Don't hear? Sorry, I forgot to leave the lights on. I'll just come in from the garden, she answered. And no, Don's not here. She's not coming back tonight. The words echoed in her ears forever. Dorcas waved their wand, and yellow orbs filled the room. Both of them had grown up with electricity, but Emmeline was grateful for the magical orbs of light. She led them into the kitchen, where she put on the kettle and was able to clean herself up a bit. They exchanged small talk, but as they settled into the living room, Dorcas had started the fireplace. The visitor got straight to the point. Me thought you dead, Emmeline, she confessed with a thick voice. You knew at the order meeting yesterday. Emmeline looked down at her lap. She hadn't even bothered giving the order some offered excuse. She had needed to clean out the gutters before winter came. That had been Dawn's job. I'm sorry, she said quietly. No, me know why, Dorcas told her. You do? Emmeline had to set down her tea because she nearly spilled it on herself. Dorcas' dark eyes shone. This was it. This was the moment that Emmeline knew was coming. She could sense it now, the pity, the assurance that it wasn't her fault. It was. Dorcas leaned forward, dreads falling into her face a little bit. She whispered, the traitor. Emmeline's mouth dropped. This was definitely not what she had anticipated. This wasn't a routine. Unannounced visitors were not part of her survival plan. But to hell with the routine, to hell with the survival plans. Do you think there is one, Dorcas? She breathed, scooting closer to her friend. Emmeline had never heard it uttered aloud. The thought of there being a traitor in the Order of the Phoenix had never crossed her mind after the McKinnons. After all, entire families had been targeted before they had been. But after the Bonses were murdered, another Order family. Dorcas nodded gravely. You heard what happened this morning. Emily's sweet turned icy. No. Dorcas sighed and rested her hand on her friend's shoulder. Fabian and Gideon then were killed. No. No, no, no. That couldn't be. Emily gripped onto Dorcas as tears came to her eyes. No! 
a true true. Took five dead titar to kill the priwets. The women held each other, both crying. Emeline's thoughts raised of memories of the two brothers who had fought so diligently for the order and had so many things to offer the world. So, so there's a traitor in the order, Emeline capped. She stood from her spot on the sofa and began to pace around her sparse living room. Her hands bolded together in fists. Being who she was and who she loved, Emmeline was used to there being a target on her back. And that wasn't the only thing that made her a target. Her father had been killed because of what Emmeline stood for nearly twelve years ago. She swore to herself that no one would ever have to go through what she went through. The pain had been too devastating. Emmeline had worked so many hours fighting for rights. Muggle rights and muggle-born rights and squib rights. She knew she wasn't going into a popular field. And her brother Jeremy had warned her that her fate could end up like their father's. But Emmeline accepted these risks because she thought that at least she was making a difference. Minu no who, Dorka said. Minu read everyone's mind. No like that. Emery shook her head. I don't expect you to do that, Dorcas, but... But who's next? The question twisted in her stomach, and it made Dorcas uncomfortable too. Minu think like that, she said carefully. It's dangerous. There was a moment of silence before. Because of this... Crouch made unforgivables against the titar legal for the outdoors. The hairs on the back of Emily's neck rose. The death of the Prewet's brothers had shaken more than the order. The ministry was becoming more and more desperate. She pinched the bridge of her nose as Dorcas continued. You gotta protect yourself and honor too. Emily collapsed back onto the sofa groaning. What? Dorcas, Don and I, we are, we've broken up. There it was, out in the open. Emmeline glanced towards the other witch, getting ready for the pity and the angsty question. Oh, Em, Dorcas said sadly. Em, I'm sorry. She shrugged. Of course Dorcas was sorry. That's all she could be, and Emmeline made her feel that way. It's fine, really. It, it wouldn't have lasted anyway. Want more tea? Emmeline was. You together for two years. We need alcohol for this. Dorcas stood up this time. Emmeline made motions to object, but her friend quelled them. You stay there. Me get you good stuff. Before Emily knew it, they were sharing a bottle of room that Don had left behind. Dorcas had put on the wireless, and today's most current music filled the room, and suddenly Dorcas didn't find the room empty. It was rather full. They drank to Fabian, to Gideon, to Edgar and Marlene and each other, to Windash, Dorcas' cat, to Dumbledore and Benji, and the Longbottoms and the Potters. To the entire order, traitor or no traitor. To Donna, cried Emmeline, 
holding the nearly finished bottle of rum. May she find the Malgolu shares all of their secrets with her. Dorcas joined her in her toast. But as soon as they were both done, she said softly, That's why you not tell her you a witch. Nodding, Emmeline took a swig. Her foot tapped to the beat of the latest song on the wireless. Of course she hadn't told Don that she was a witch. She would be breaking with Zardig law, and those pure-blood supremacists would have used anything to sack her or lock her up. She knew they would use the international statute of secrecy to their advantage, because witches and wizards couldn't reveal their true nature until after they were married. And she, Emmeline Vance, would never be able to marry Donna Winter. It wasn't allowed. Donna had known that there were things that Emmeline couldn't explain, and it had caused a great rift in their relationship. Emmeline wasn't even sure if she even wanted to share this world with Don, not with how things were currently going. How could she tell Don about a world where she would be persecuted? She was already persecuted enough in the Muggle One, before Emmeline had a chance to even come out to her associates and to appeal before the wizarding court, Don had up and left. Don hadn't been able to take the secrets anymore. And now Emmeline got to live with them in their, her half-empty house. They had divided their furnishings, like their chores, fairly evenly. Merlin, what a woman! Sigd Emmeline. She had been her first girlfriend, the first person she had truly loved. Don had a cracking whip of wit, a tongue like none other, and the greatest Yorkshire padding recipe throughout all the UK. The song changed, and it had brought back Emmeline to her Hogwarts days. She stumbled up and began to sway, like how she and her friends had done in the Hufflepuff basement all those years ago. Dorcas chuckled as her movements became bigger and grander. Emmeline felt the pull of the room making her limbs feel light and her thoughts spry. Soon the song ended and something entirely new came on. Oh, I know this one, shouted Emmeline over the music. It's a new band called the Baird Sisters. She staggered over to the sofa. Taking Dorcas' hand in hers, she said, dance with me. Emmeline heaved Dorcas off the couch and started to parade her around the room in circles. Not so fast, Dorcas cried, but she immediately broke out in laughter. The two women rocked at the lull of the music, which was arguably too young sounding for them. But this moment was theirs. There was no war, no routines, no breakup, no legal unforgivables. For a brief period of time, there were two friends, drunk on room and each other's company, moving to the music, a glimmer into who they were. The Veer sister's song was coming to an end, and Emmeline tightened her hold onto Dorcas' hand and began to spin them around the room. Both women shrieked, as they tried to hold on to each other, but soon they were on the sofa, catching their breaths. Thank you, Dorcas, praised Emmeline.
The two women sat in silence for a few minutes as the wireless switched to some advertisement. As soon as Celestina Warbeck's song came on, Dorcas said, You no could through this alone, me here. Emmeline wiped the tear from her cheek and could only nod. Dinner next Wednesday? What? Where? Emmeline thought of safe places where they could get together eating a meal. Establishment after establishment was eliminated because nowhere felt safe. Here or me flat, Dorcas said kindly. There could be room in Emmeline's daily routine for dinner with a friend. It would make her evening decisions less daunting. Let's do here. My vegetable garden is starting to overflow. That Wednesday, Emmeline went through her daily routine. It was getting easier to remember to do things that Don once did. By the evening, she waited and waited, leaving her tomato-based dish untouched as the night grew darker and darker. Dorcas never came. As it turned out, on Tuesday, the day before their planned dinner, Dorcas Meadows was murdered by Lord Voldemort. In the days and weeks and months that followed, Emmeline held on to the memory of Dorcas' last visit and what it meant. The horrors were beginning to use unforgivables, but Emmeline suspected that not all of the recipients of those curses were actual deceivers. Most of Dorcas' things were confiscated by the Ministry, since she was an unmarried, mangled witch with no immediate family in the UK. Emmeline did manage, however, to adopt Windrush, Dorcas' one-eyed cat. Emmeline's house didn't feel as empty, with now two lonely souls presiding in it. Half of Emmeline's produce from her vegetable garden rotten, uneaten, but there had been an early frost that year, which stopped a lot of the extra growth. Dorcas' death crushed Emmeline, and she tried to stick to her daily routine. Quarter to seven, wake up to the alarm. She now had the alarm clock position where she could turn it off easily. Until at seven, put the kettle on and fry an egg. Sometimes she had toast with jam instead. Quarter past eight, find something to wear and lock the house. She had to protect Windrush. Then the routine at work, answer memos, mediate rows over the coffee machine, complete her paperwork, eat lunch, usually alone, file more paperwork, facilitate meetings, respond to more memos. Justice was a glacial process. At quarter past five, if she were lucky to live on time, arrive home. The evenings were still the worst, though whatever she decided to do, she completed with all of her remaining energy. Windrush meowed at her if she didn't complete something. Don called once, but Emmeline ended the conversation after five minutes. But Emmeline's routine faltered as more tragedies in the order occurred. Benji Fuenwick, Caragdog Dearborn, The Longbottoms, The Potters. Despite all of this, Emmeline continued fighting for justice. Nevertheless, she persisted.